I am the sixth grade life group leader. Where are my sixth graders? Come on. Yeah. I'm not the only I'm not the only sixth grade life group leader though. We have Mr. Somerville and Chance Manning who just got engaged. Yes, Chance. So I am super excited to preach. Um, I love preaching God's word, and I hope you guys come to love it as well, to hear God's word. Um, but we're going to continue our series in Mark, as this wonderful illustration showed us. Um, last, or two weeks ago, two sermons ago, Daniel preached in Mark chapter 1, and we learned about the theme of exile, right? How we, God made man, and was dwelling with them in Eden, in the Garden of Eden. And sin separated us. We, because of our sin, have been exiled. But Christ, he himself was exiled, cast out of God's presence on the cross so that we could be brought back in. And then we learn how we who have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ are called to bring others in. To go back on a mission, right? To reclaim others as fishers of men. And then last week, Scott preached on... At the end of Mark, and we saw Jesus' earthly ministry begin. We saw him do many awesome miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick, going and drawing towards a leper, taking on our sin to save us. And so this week, we're going to continue to continue our study of Mark, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. So turn there, and when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, you guys are on it. Let's go. That's awesome. Yeah, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 17. We have two accounts, all right? There's two stories kind of here, but they, they relate to one another. And we're going to see Jesus continue his earthly ministry by healing. All right, so my sermon title is this. Jesus, our healer. Jesus, our healer. And I've got two points. Only two, believe it or not. Point number one, we need healing. Point number two, only Jesus can heal. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read the word. Father, help us. Help us to see Christ clearly, to see his heart towards sinners, towards us. Lord, humble us, for so often we can be prideful and we think that we don't need you. Lord, but each and every one of us need you. We need healing. And thank you that you died on the cross to heal us. You were bruised that we might be healed. By your wounds, you're healed. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, read with me in Mark chapter 2. And truly listen, because this is the most important thing that you're going to hear, is the Word of God itself. And I believe that it is alive and active, and the Word of God preaches itself. So listen intently as we read all of 1 through 17. And when he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the great crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, there that word is again, immediately, 
Jesus, there you go. Thank you, Scott. That was wise. Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? What is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately, immediately. immediately. picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And then Jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. But the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Here we have two wonderful stories that show us that Jesus is our healer. We need healing, and Jesus is the only one that can hear, hear us. Let's look back at chapter 2, the, the section on the paralytic. So Jesus, he returns to the town, all right? And word gets out quickly that Jesus is back. This is the one who was there earlier, who's done all of these miracles that we saw. He's back. It's like when somebody famous comes to town. Joe Biden was just in Belvedere. It's actually probably not a good example. I don't think many people were there. But, all right, all right. You guys are going to get me in trouble. <laughs> when a famous person comes in town and everybody hears about it, so they're running to them, all right? Jesus, <laughs> why did I say that? Jesus is back, all right? He's back. And there's a huge crowd. It says that there was no room for anybody, all right? It's, it's so interesting to me that when Jesus was born, there was no room for him, right? He went to stable to stable. There's no room in the inn. But now there's no room for any of the crowd. And there's these four friends who have a, another friend who's paralyzed. He can't walk. And they hear that Jesus is in town. And so they resolve, we need to find Jesus. We need to see him. And so the four friends, they pick him up. And they go to the house where Jesus is preaching with authority, as we learned last week. And they go to the house and they see Jesus, but they, can't, they don't have access to him. There's obstacles. There's people everywhere. And so at that moment, they could have just turned around and gone home. We'll come back another day. Right? But is that what they did? Did they turn around, carry him back home? What did they do in the story? Isaiah. They climbed the roof and tore it open. They climbed the roof and tore it open. They resolved. They said, we are going to see Jesus no matter what. No matter what it takes, we're going to see Jesus. And so they go up the stairs, they climb on the roof, they tear open the ceiling, and they lower the paralyzed man through it. And Jesus sees them. And he sees their faith, that they trusted, that Jesus had the power to heal him. 
And he says your sins are forgiven. Now, this isn't the main point of the text, but for you, junior hires, this is a great application. I want to look at the friends for a second. These friends, they didn't need, they could have just left their paralyzed friend behind and ran to Jesus and tried to get access to him. And yet they took the time and they carried their friend to Christ. Friendships are hard in middle school and high school. And it is so important that you find friends that carry you to Christ. And you need to be the friend that carries others to Christ. I've seen relationships and I hear a lot of you guys talk, tearing each other apart, gossiping, slandering. Or your relationships have no depth because all you guys will talk about and care about is sports and worldly things. Which are great, they're gifts from God. But Christ must be the center of your fellowship, of your friendships. We need to be friends that carry one another to Christ. Not away from him. Friends that carry you away from Christ are the ones who talk inappropriately, who make inappropriate jokes, who want to pull you away from Christ into the things of this world. We need to be friends that love Christ and bring others to them, talk about him. But back to our story. This paralyzed man, he he has no hope of being healed unless somebody helps him. He can't run to Jesus like his friends. He can't walk to them. He needs help. And I think this is the condition of each and every one of us who are born in sin. We are spiritually paralyzed, separated from Christ, as Ephesians 2 says, without hope and without God, dead in our sins. We do not have access to God because of our sin. And so we need the help of another. We need somebody to bring us to Christ and to give us faith. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes us alive and brings us to Christ. And faith, Ephesians 2 says, is a gift from God. And so not only do we learn of Christ in this passage, but we learn about the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Holy Spirit... We would be dead. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. We need help to be saved. We need healing and we need help. Let's look at verse 5. After the paralyzed man is lowered through the ceiling, Jesus saw there, what is the word? Saw there Faith. faith. And he said to the paralytic, rise and walk. Is that what he says? No, he says, Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Hold on. Wait a second. Why did the paralyzed man come to Jesus? What was his greatest need if you looked at him? What would the paralyzed man need most? He wanted to walk. But here Jesus addresses an even greater need of the paralyzed man. And his greatest need is that he needed his sins to be forgiven. Junior hires, what do you think your greatest need is? Some of you guys, you can't think past the next day. You're thinking, oh man, my greatest need is I need to go to the bathroom right now really bad. Do you think anybody will notice if I slipped out? Yes, I would. You'd have to walk right by me and I'd call you out. Do you think my greatest need is water or food? My greatest need is to be the most popular at school. My greatest need, what I, what I need most is to be the greatest athlete, to graduate, to, 
be the smartest. What we learn is that our greatest need is none of those things. Just as this paralyzed man, his greatest need was not to be able to walk. His greatest need is that his sins be forgiven. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If Christ just healed him right away, he would have been able to walk to hell. But it is better for the man's sins to be forgiven and enter heaven lame. (laughs) Because his greatest need, our greatest need, is that our sins be forgiven. Because if our sins are not forgiven, we are eternally separated from God. And the only way our sins can be forgiven is if God himself pronounces and says your sins are forgiven. If the Lamb of God takes away our sins. And this is what Jesus does. And it comes through faith. It comes through faith. What is faith? Faith is receiving and resting in Jesus Christ for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Faith is trusting Receiving and resting, trusting in the work of Jesus, that he lived in your place, perfect life, died the death that you deserve. He defeated death by rising from the dead three days later. You must trust in this, believe in this, simply by faith, by simply looking to Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And so Jesus sees the faith that they trusted in Christ. And he says, son, I love that. Did you catch that? He doesn't just say your sins are forgiven. He says, son. Your sins are forgiven. Not only when you trust in Jesus are your sins forgiven, but you are made a son and a daughter of the king. You are brought into his family. And what we're going to see later in the text, you get to sit at his table and feast with him. When you trust in Jesus, your sins are paid for in full. As nails pierced Jesus' feet on the cross, he became paralyzed so that we could walk free. Forgiveness is found in no other name than in Jesus. But as happy as the paralyzed man was, there was another group of people who were furious. When Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees go crazy. They're like, Who are you to say that you can forgive sins? You're blaspheming. You're claiming that you are God because only God can forgive sins. You deserve death. Because the Old Testament, if you blasphemed, you deserve death. And so the Pharisees, they're going crazy. Who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. And what's crazy about our story here is the Pharisees are right. The only one who can forgive sins is God. But what they couldn't see and understand is that God became man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's that God became man. He became like us in every respect, Jesus, without sin. And so the Pharisees, they've seen now the miracles of Jesus. And maybe they might, the people thought that Jesus was a prophet. Prophets in the Old Testament, they did many signs and wonders. They healed. But what the prophets did not do was say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, because only God can do that. And here we see Jesus claim that he is God. And then he proves that he is God by a miracle. Let's read again in verse 8. And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit. So the, the Pharisees, they don't even say it out loud. In their hearts, Jesus says, 
in their hearts, they are questioning God and accusing him. But Jesus says he sees their heart. Do you know that? Jesus, as God, he knows your very thoughts, the very thought of your heart, which the Bible teaches us is wicked above all else. Jesus knows our very hearts. He sees the hearts of the Pharisees. And he says, why do you question these things in your hearts? What is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk? And then he says, but to, that you may know that the Son of Man, referring to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus makes the claim to this paralytic that your sins are forgiven. Now you can't physically see that his sins are forgiven, right? That's why Jesus is saying, what's easier to say that? Like I could, anybody could say your sins are forgiven and you never know that it is true. But then Jesus shows that his word was true with a miracle. He says, guess what? His sins are forgiven. Watch this. Rise up and walk. And it says he immediately did so. And as I was studying this, it, it blew my mind because Christ, he doesn't have to answer to the Pharisees. He didn't need to do that. The, the paralytic could have been carried back home, happier, rejoicing because his sins were forgiven, right? Because that's his greatest need. But instead he walked home. God showed him grace upon grace. And it reminded me of Romans 8, verse 31. You can write it down. It says that God has given us the greatest gift of all. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously give all other things to us? Christ first deals with the paralytic's greatest need. He forgives his sins. But he does so much more because Jesus is a loving and kind Savior. And he lavishes gifts and grace upon his children. And then he heals him, which silences the Pharisees, but would bring great assurance to the paralytic. Think about that. You're the paralytic. You go to walk. And instead, he tells, Jesus tells you that your sins are forgiven. Now, you might believe that your sins are forgiven, but the Pharisees are doubting it. I might start doubting, wait, are my sins actually forgiven? And then he proves to the paralytic as well, rise up and walk. And so he knew at that moment that not only has he been healed, but his sins have been forgiven. And he walked away rejoicing and everybody was in awe. How many of you guys have broke a bone before where you had to like wear a cast? When you got your cast taken off, were you able to just use the, use the bone right away in the same capacity? No. I um, broke my arm many years ago at a youth group event. Actually, we went to Cascade Mountain and I uh, decided to go off a jump. It was my first time skiing and like rotated and went to catch myself and snapped both of the bones in my forearm. I had to wear a cast and I <laughs> oh man, you guys are going to not like me for this. But when I got the cast off, it's all nasty inside, you know, like a bunch of dead skin. And I go to pick something up, but it, I'm like, I can't even lift anything with it. I thought you told me it was healed. Oh, it took time. It took time even after the cast for it to heal. And yet Jesus immediately and fully healed this paralyzed man who hadn't been able to walk for years. It doesn't say that 
He took up his bed and tried to walk, and he just stumbled and fell. He got up and walked. Jesus heals him immediately and fully. And what does that mean for you? When you trust in Jesus, you are healed immediately and fully. Immediately you are entering the kingdom of God. Immediately you are united to Jesus Christ. Immediately your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. Immediately you are made a son and a daughter of the king. You don't have to work. It doesn't happen over time. Immediately and fully. (laughs) That's good news. Let's continue the, the second story now. After Jesus does this amazing miracle, he leaves and goes out of the town again. And the crowd is following him like moths fleeing to the light, the light of the world. They're following him and he's teaching. And amidst all the people following him, Jesus sets his gaze of affection upon one man, Levi. Why Levi? Levi. I see Levi. He sets his gaze of affection, of love, upon Levi, a tax collector, The people didn't like tax collectors. Tax collectors often stole from the people. They were hated by society and they pocketed the people's money for themselves. But yet this is the one who Jesus calls. He calls to himself and he says, Levi, follow me. And in another gospel account, a parallel one, it says that Levi immediately left everything that he had and followed Jesus. And Levi brought Jesus to his house and threw a big feast. And many other tax collectors and sinners were there. Levi, the tax collector. Levi's God was money. And upon hearing the call of Jesus, he leaves everything to follow him. What does that mean for you and me? When you trust in Jesus... You need to count the cost. When you trust in Jesus, it means sports, video games, theater, entertainment, friends, even family. Jesus says, he who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. When you trust in Jesus, all of those things become secondary and Christ becomes everything. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle where finals are coming up. Oh, I guess you guys are in middle school. You don't take finals. Hard tests are coming up, right? And so, all right, now I should probably talk to Jesus. Something difficult, you're having relationship problems. Oh, now I'll go to Jesus and help him or ask for him. Jesus is not a genie in the bottle. He says, come to me, take up your cross and follow me. But yet the joy that we think we get out of all other things in life pales in comparison to the joy found in knowing Christ. And so Christ says to you all, come to me, freely come. I will make you well. But everything else must be secondary. And the other thing that I love about this calling of Levi is not only does he leave everything to follow Jesus, his idol, money, what he once used, what... All that he desired is turned around and transformed. And so we see the transformative power of the gospel. He once held money dearly, but now he goes and immediately spends it, right? To host Jesus and to throw a feast for all of his, all of his tax collecting friends and sinners. 
And so here we are, Jesus eating a meal with tax collectors and sinners. But the Pharisees come up again. And the Pharisees continually harden their heart against Jesus. And they're eventually going to crucify him. In the first story, they say and attack Jesus in their hearts, right? Now, it says that they spoke to his disciples. So first, they attack Jesus in their hearts, indirectly. Now they attack Jesus with their words, but not to Jesus directly. It says, look it, he talked to his disciples. He said to his disciples, the Pharisees are like talking behind Jesus' back. And now, eventually, they're going to spit in his face and crucify him. And they said to his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus heard it. And he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Are you embarrassed? Have you ever been embarrassed when... You get seen with somebody that you may not want to be seen with. Maybe it's that friend at school that you want to be friends with them. And sometimes you're friends with them outside of school. But in school, you don't want to be seen with them. Or maybe it's at school, you don't want to be seen with other Christians. Because it's embarrassing. You don't want to be numbered among them. Or when you see people that are different than you. And you mock them, and you bully them, and you laugh at them, even behind their backs. And you're filled with a pride, exalting yourself, because you're better than them, right? Or some of you guys aren't public schoolers. You go to a home school, and you can so easily compare yourself to other people, to pub- those public schoolers. You know, at least I'm not like the public schoolers who watch things that I don't watch, who talk in a way that I don't talk. And you're filled with, an, with a pride on the inside. You, you, you think that you are healthy. I'm not that bad after all. right? Maybe sometimes I'm mean to my siblings. Maybe sometimes I dishonor my parents. I go to youth group Wednesdays and I go to church on Sundays. I've not done the major sins. I've not murdered anybody. Right? So you begin to think you're healthy. You compare yourself to others, just like the Pharisees. Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And you're filled with an inward pride. And Jesus says, listen to his, listen to how he responds to the Pharisees. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician or or a healer. But those who are sick... (laughs) Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is comparing this idea of people who think that they are well and healthy to those who think that they are righteous in God's eyes, who think that they are going to be saved by their good works, by their performance. And he compares those who are sick with the tax collectors and sinners who know that they have sinned against God and are undeserving. And the kingdom of God is upside down because we think that those who do good deeds are closest to entering heaven. But Jesus says those people are actually the farthest away because you think you're healthy. 
You don't think you're filled with sin? Well, guess what? You don't need Jesus then. You don't need him. Go, continue. You don't need a physician. You don't need somebody to heal you because you're not sick to begin with. But the tax collectors and sinners, the ones that we would think, those evil criminals, right? Those evil kids at your school that you think, oh, they are never going to be saved. Those are the ones that Christ runs to because they see and they know that they are sick and they need healing. They need a healer. And so junior hires, do you see yourself that you are sick? Or do you think you're okay? We're all sick. We're all dead. And we need help. But the good news is, we have help. Christ came, and as we learned from Scott, took upon our sickness to give us life. He died on the cross so that we could be free. Jesus invites all of us, all who trust in him, to come and eat at his table. Look at, who's, look at who Jesus is sitting with. Look at who is at Jesus' table. Sinners. So the first step of being, of being saved is that you acknowledge. Jeremiah 3.13 says, Only acknowledge your guilt, that you have rebelled against the Lord your God. And you need to see that you have sinned against a holy God. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, he says, you will be saved. You will be saved. He will forgive you. Come to him. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. Good news. That is good news for us. We are sick, but Jesus came to heal us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our great King, subdue our hearts and convince us that we are sick. And then convince us that you will heal us and you will make us well. Would these junior hires, just like the friends, resolve that they will not leave this place until they have been healed. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.